Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 21, cherish our uh, assurance with the Lord. And finding that, and how do we get our assurance in the Lord? Verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3, says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his grace, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. And to him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before your throne, Lord, I pray that just a time, as we come before you, Lord, I, I do need your help. Calm my mind, my thoughts. Lord, bring them into submission to thee, and Lord, I yield it to you. And Lord, I pray that the words that I say would be of you and from your holy word. God, help our hearts to rest upon the foundation of thee. And so, Lord, I commit this evening to you. I do plead the blood of Christ and ask you to do what only you can in our protection to hedge us in. We love you in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. So we look, first things first, dwell means literally to house down. We spoke about, we must trust him if he has to be given the reign of a master instead of treated like a guest. And we were speaking about the Lord having mastery over the house of our heart. He's to house down, if you would. We need the aid of the Holy Spirit of God to expose our selfish protectiveness that so naturally rules in all of us. We need a spirit-taught, glad surrender to Jesus Christ as the master of the house, that the Father, that the Spirit of God, as He's in our hearts, that He, we need to say, Lord, anywhere in my heart that is selfish, self-protective, that I'm holding on to something, Lord, I need to give it to you. And so, Lord, and and so as we think about this, Christ rips up the old worn area rug, rugs of self-interest, self-indulgence, self-protection, and self-preoccupation and cleans the underlying floor covering of Christian love. And as we mentioned here in verse, uh, in this, in verse 16, strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. We spoke about that. We started to speak about that last week with respect to Christ cleaning up the inner man, dealing with love, right? By his spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, being rooted and grounded in love. And we spoke about that. This carpet cleaning job isn't optional uh, for the Christian life, that God wants to come in and those areas of our life, that floor, the foundation of our life, he wants to come in. He says, listen, your carpet is bad. You need to get rid of that old carpet and you need to put in the carpet, the foundation rooted and grounded in love. That needs to be our foundation. And same as rooted and grounded in love, verse 17. Now, picking up where we left off in this blessed assurance uh, is a spirit-taught sense of Christ's own love for us as his dear children. Uh, And as we look at verses 18 and 19, may may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, 
One of the things that we need to do as Christians is we need to know of the Father's love for us. We need to be assured, we need to be secure uh, in his love, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. To know the love of Christ. A spiritually strong believer, they, with Christ as house down, Christ as the master of the house of their heart, they are secure uh, knowing that their life is with Christ and, and that he is the master leading their heart's emotion. That a believer who's experienced these elements of the Christian life uh, is a candidate to know the voice of the master. How do I know when God is speaking to me? You know, oftentimes the question is, how do you know God's will? Uh, how do you know that God's speaking to you? And uh, we all want to hear the comforting words of the Savior, of the Holy Spirit of God, as He's speaking to our spirit. But how do I get the Spirit of God to speak those words, right? We, uh, we talk, talked about it on Sunday in brief in the, uh, uh, the uh, Sunday school hour about that still, small voice. And what is sad is that so many, uh, is that Jesus Christ wants people to know us deeply and know him deeply in our inner man. And yet, we do not. Because our fears take precedence. We don't allow him to take over that carpet of our life, of our own fears, our own worries, our own self-deception, anything else that's in there. And so, uh, there's, we don't, and some of this issue with respect to God as a father uh, does have a bearing on who your earthly father was. Uh, many of the same people who, you know, there's a doubt about God's love for them. Uh, you know, they've lived very fearful and unfulfilled childhoods because potentially uh, their father was never a comforter. Uh, their dad was not one that they could sense that dad cared for me personally. And so because dad doesn't care for me personally, uh, dad doesn't invest himself in me, dad isn't interested in what I'm interested in, in a physical sense, an earthly sense, that many times we struggle with a father in heaven who legitimately does care for us. And so there's this disconnect that we have because this idea of father is so foreign to us. We do not know, uh, we, we, we talk about them, we, we, we think, wow, that's a great thing. But I don't know what it's like to let the Father, let God be the, the foundation of my life. And so for so many people, they've been raised in very grievous, difficult conditions. Uh, and sometimes in a very excruciating pain, emotionally. Because they're not secure in whether Dad really loves me. Uh, they're not secure in that dad really cares for me, that dad will comfort me, that dad will be there for me. I know in our family, and my wife and I, I struggled in the first few years of marriage uh, for me, own, my own self personally, because of some of the things that I had seen in my family uh, and uh, uh, family members that would sometimes say one thing and the next minute they're gone. When you need help, they're gone. They leave. Trouble comes, they leave. And you're thinking, where were you? And, and so this idea of trust really is a big thing in this. And so we need to know that God loves us. We can put it here. But when I say loves us, I'm not just talking that Jesus died on that cross. I'm saying that your innermost worries, fears, desires, discouragements... 
you know you can bring them to him. And he's going to listen. Because for so many, it's like a little child that comes to, like our, my daughter, if she was to come to me and I said, you know, kind of bug off, bug off. If I was to say that. You know what? This is what we need to understand. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans 8.15, you do see that up there. We have not, <clears throat> Romans 8.15. And you know also, with the false ideology and the false doctrine of people that uh, believe you can lose your salvation, there is very, there's no hope. Because you hope, right? You're only putting yourself in, I think, I might, but there's not that assurance, a blessed assurance. Verse 15 of Romans 8, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You know, religion leaves us in that position of, I think I've done enough. I hope, or I'm wishing, that my good works outweigh my bad works. Right? There's a bondage there, a fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The most intimate name of God, the Father, in the fatherly sense. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. R.A. Torrey, he commented on this, he said, There are two witnesses to our sonship. First, his own, our own spirit taking God at his word. You know what? I simply just believe God. I believe what the Bible says. If I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then I'm born again. It goes on to say our own spirit unhesitatingly affirms that what God says is true, that we are sons of God because God says so. If God said, I'm his child, if you, know, if you, do, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ you're, and, and ask him to forgive you your sins, if he said it, it's so, right? He writes the check. I take the check and I say, hey, I'm going to the bank. I'm going to cash it or I'm going to deposit it. The money's good. I'm saying, God, you said by faith, I'm taking you by faith, I'm going to just trust you. That's the first thing we can have. But second of all, there is another witness to our sonship, namely the Holy Spirit. He bears witness together with our spirit. When the spirit of his son bears witness together with our spirit to our sonship, then we are filled and thrilled with the sense that we are sons. So one, I, I trust by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to believe him, right? Hebrews eleven six, that first part. And then second of all, God's Spirit, which indwells me, 1 Corinthians 6, we know that, right? Temple of the Holy Spirit of God. That God's Spirit reaffirms to my spirit that I'm his. And so we have these two witnesses is our own spirit, the divine logic. When we came to Christ, we have seen the Spirit's fruit in one way or another. You should have been, when you accepted Jesus Christ, there should have been a difference from before salvation to after salvation. Now, if you were saved young, I was saved young, but I do know that there was a change, there was a freedom from sin. There was also that nature that wanted to sin. But there was a change from sin, so there's, there's a change. You see some fruit, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, uh, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness. Galatians 5. And so I know I'm saved because I come under the conviction of sin. James chapter 1.8, right? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We understand that. And John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So, and this is a very a crucial point. I remember when I was first in Bible college, it was, I, I struggled because I, you know, there were some things in my life and I said, well, 
you know, are these things that, uh, you know, could I be saved and, and, and have these thoughts or whatever the case may be? And, uh, you know, I had to come to the conclusion that one of my professors, he says, Chris, your problem is you are trusting that your experience isn't like somebody else's experience. So you're putting your ideas, your, ide- your, your identity in an experience rather than if you put your faith in Christ. And I had to say, he said, did you do what the Bible said? I said, I did. He said, well, if you did what the Bible did, uh, said, then you're saved. We just have to take the Bible at its word. And so there should be, uh, and then there was fruit. There was always, from salvation on, there was a desire for the things of God. Now, there were times that I would try to resist the things of God, but when I resisted the things of God, I came under conviction. And so this first witness is the fact that uh, we ought to have a change in our thinking, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We are different. We have our conscience that is now aware of holiness and purity. And there's a new birth. And so without the Spirit's aid, we can never recognize the Spirit's influence in handiwork. You know, if he did not give his testimony with us. But, so the second thing we look at is the Spirit of God. He reinforces to me. He says, listen. You know, this, the Spirit teaches me. He convicts me. He guides me. He directs my thoughts. You know, when you go to certain places, there's things that the Lord says, hey, be careful of this. Be careful. And you just get this, you know, as you're going to progress in a particular course of action, the Spirit of God, your spirit is grieved because the Spirit's just pulling back saying, don't do that, don't do that. And He's trying to keep us uh, from ourselves. And so God wants to give us the assurance. So I have, number one, I see uh, his own spirit in my own spirit that I'm different. My thinking is different. My, uh, my convictions are different. My desires are different. Not that I'm, uh, obviously we have a sinful nature that we're constantly battling with. The second thing is, there is the assurance that the spirit of God is teaching me and leading me. As I come to the Word of God, there's things that the Spirit of God just uh, illuminates in my mind, in my thoughts. And, and maybe when I was younger in the faith, and I'm reading through the Scriptures again, and I come through it, I, I see something new, and it's just like, whoa, I never realized that. I see something else in my life. And, and so God's desire is that we would move forward. And so Romans 8.16, if I then do that which I, or Romans 8.16 uh, for the Spirit itself beareth witness that, uh, with our spirit that we are the children of God. So God's Spirit bears witness with my spirit, so my spirit bears witness, and then the Spirit of God bears witness to me that I'm His child. And um, it's not this idea of, uh, much like what the Charismatics would have, with t- you know, speaking in tongues. Uh, there are those that they want this experience. And I was speaking to someone not long ago, and they said, I really wanted to speak in tongues. I really wanted to speak in tongues. And uh, they just got to this place and kept wanting to speak in tongues. I said, if it's real, let me speak in tongues. And they just kept going on and on and on in this desire until they finally spoke in tongues. Uh, but it wasn't the tongues of biblical proportions. Uh, it was gibberish. And you know what? When the fact is that we as believers can have our spirit and God's spirit giving us assurance that we're His. Much like the famous uh, writer Fanny Crosby would write, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His spirit. 
washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the, my, all the day long. And you know what? She had such a joy, a jubilation, if you would, knowing that she was a child of God. Like you can ask yourself, have I ever had the assurance of God's Spirit speaking to my spirit? There's that story of that gentleman who had, I, think, I believe it was spinal meningitis, and um, he lost his entire memory. John, I can't remember his last name. Uh, anyways, the, the guy was an evangelist. His wife had to reteach him everything. He said, you know what? How did I know that I was a child of God? God's Spirit. I couldn't remember it. I couldn't remember anything. But he said, God's Spirit assured my spirit that I was his child. Then I knew I was saved. So is the reality of our salvation vibrant in our soul that it brings a delight to us that I know that I am a child of my Father in heaven. And as you think about all of that there with Fanny Crosby, though she was blind and yet such, she could see with a faith. Blessed assurance. And so without the Spirit of God's work in our life, number one, if I'm grieving this Spirit, oftentimes when people said, I'm not sure I'm saved, it could very well be in that questioning of, am I saved? Maybe there's a course of life uh, or there's some habit of sin in their life that is grieving the Spirit of God. And so God's Spirit's not giving us that assurance that I'm His child. It could very well be. Because when we grieve the Spirit of God, we're not going to have that assurance. I'm, I'm going to question certain things in our lives. It is possible for Christians to do many of the things that the heathen do. But, in a, you know, and if we are grieving the Spirit of God, His Spirit is not, uh, we're not in fellowship. We're not in, not that we've lost Him, but we have grieved and our, our spirits are at conflict. So the caution, Holy Spirit's at work, the Holy Spirit's mission is to show us Jesus Christ. Look with me at uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16, uh, verse 13. Excuse me. I want you to notice with me as we look at the verses 13 and 14. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, John 16, 13, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. For whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify who? That's Jesus, right? Me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So as we look at here, here is the Spirit of God showing us Jesus. There is a, if you would, in your heart, he's coming into the mass as a master of your heart. He's redecorating. He's redoing it. So that's why in the Christian life, as I, uh, especially if someone's older when they get saved, maybe they've been involved in some things in their life and their mind is just muddied up with a lot of the filth of the world. And it's going to take some time as they allow the master of the house to do some redecorating, refurnishings, renewal on that house. If you come into a house uh, that's maybe been in disrepair, it's not been uh, taken care of, it's going to take quite a bit of work. And your master comes in and the carpenter comes in and he begins to, uh, to 
clean and maybe put up new drywall and paint and new carpet and flooring and potentially new plumbing and wiring, you name it, uh, depending upon the level of disrepair. But he has to come in and when you give him mastery of your house, of your heart, he's going to do a work. And as he does that work, it's going to continually bring a greater appreciation for the Lord. It's a gracious work that he does. Dr. F.B. Myers he says, we must carefully avoid making the Holy Spirit the figurehead in any movement. However sincere and well-intentioned its promoters may be, it is surely a profound mistake to make any special experience of the Spirit the objective or aim of a religious movement. In the present dispensation, the one aim of the blessed paraclete, paraclete is comforter, Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, excuse me, is to glorify our Savior. He must surely shrink from any attempt, however well-intended, to divert one thought from him, who must ever be the Alpha and the Omega of our faith. When the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to what we have in our salvation, we will see that what we have is in Jesus Christ, because of, and because of Jesus Christ, and for the Lord Jesus. We will see that we are created for his glory. And so the Holy Spirit of God, he'll turn these truths. He says here, he's going to show, he shall uh, glorify me. So the Spirit of God that's within us will always point us back to Christ, right? In the Old Testament, uh, you would have, uh, you know, they did the sacrifices pointing to Jesus. Here, you know, it's always pointing to the cross in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's pointing back to the cross as well as to the future hope that Jesus is returned. And so as we think about this, um, when we experience the love of God, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, going back to our main passage of Scripture, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, uh, and so that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Here is the passeth knowledge, the love of Christ. And so we're understanding who he is. We're understanding we're having a, an appreciation for Christ. We're having a joy of him. You know what? In all of this process of the love of Christ, it's none of me, right? There's, there's, there's not the selfishness because the love of Christ has redecorated my heart. It's come in there. It's redone the entire house uh, of my heart and made it in a way that always points to him rather than pointing at myself. And so it's not just this emotional experience uh, that we would use as a test. Well, there was a time, and, and I was uh, listening to this thing, and I got all emotional. I started crying, and, and I just prayed a quick prayer, and, and uh, you know, that's how I know I'm saved. Well, did you, you know, ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? Uh, uh, did you put your full faith in Christ? Now, obviously, each person, I, and it's not the, you know, it's, did you fully repent? You know, there's some that might say, well, you're not saved if you're not weeping and crying. Well, no, because it depends. We all react differently. But there ought to be a place in your heart when you ask Jesus Christ, you repent of your sins, there ought to be a guiltiness of your sins. And uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 tells us this very truth uh, about, you know, we don't want to dampen the Spirit of God in our lives. 1 Peter 1, 8 whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So there is always, in, in our love for Christ, we can get this, uh, we, can, so we can get off this true love for Christ, and we can get into this fanaticism, we can get into this emotionalism, uh, and, and you know what, a lot of things are there. Uh, our our society is very, very emotionally driven. I mean, advertisements, they, they work off of emotional impulses to make you purchase whatever the advertising is selling. 
And uh, one time, Dwight L. Moody, a noted evangelist, uh, he was asked why some people objected to praying for an awakening or a spirit-sent revival there in America. His argument, he said, one argument that seems to carry great weight with so many people right now is that there is too much excitement in an awakening. I wish I could see as much excitement in the church of God, in the work of God, as I see in other areas. If you want to see excitement, go to some place of amusement. The moment there comes a breath of interest in spiritual uh, things, some people cry, sensationalism, sensationalism. But I tell you that I would rather have sensation than stagnation anytime. Don't be afraid of a little excitement. It seems to me that almost anything is preferable to deadness. Where there is life, there will always be a commotion. What we need is life. And so he is saying that, you know what, we ought to have a liveliness. <laughs> there's a joy. You know, there's times that uh, we can sing the same exact hymns. And uh, I was, recently I saw there's this uh, big men's uh, meeting down in the States. And uh, I listened to some of the singing, and it was the same exact hymn. But I mean, man, you got some guys that are excited, and they're all singing together, or a whole bunch of, uh, a whole church, it's all singing together. There can be excitement, and the same time, there could be a large church of people singing the hymns, and it could be deader than a doornail. I mean, it, it's just dead. So there's a spirit to it, right? The Holy Spirit of God, uh, there is an exertion, because of my love for Christ, uh, as I'm singing, and, and oftentimes, you know, sometimes the environment uh, does help. But nevertheless, with this, so we have to have the, we need to know the difference between emotion and emotionalism. We are all emotional creatures. But emotionalism is just giving in to the emotions and just going uh, with, uh, you know, kind of the vibe of the, the times. But what we must emphasize is that we must be spirit controlled. It's not spirit-controlled if people are flailing and flopping around like fish out of water. That's not spirit-controlled. That's just weird. True emotion produced by the Holy Ghost, it always leads to humility. It will lead to reverence. It will uh, lead to a holy love for God. Uh, There will not be hypocrisy there. And so it's not a boasting in myself, it's a boasting in Jesus Christ. And so as we think about this, this love of Christ, knowing the question, to know the love of Christ. <clears throat> but we, in this love of Christ, it ought to put us uh, in that position of humility. If we're not humble, we cannot know the love of Christ. Because now I am standing in the place of mastery of my heart as opposed to Christ. It is that place of humility before the Lord, before others. And, um, and so you have to know in your heart, are you a child of God? And the emotions are not the authenticity or the genuineness. Just because you were emotional at one time in your life, uh, you know, sometimes, well, I prayed a prayer and I got all emotional. I'm saved. You know, there's some that, uh, I remember back when I was in the military, there was this one individual. They said, well, I, I went to a rock concert, a quote-unquote Christian rock concert, and, and they asked if anyone would like to receive Jesus. And I raised my hand, this person said, and, and uh, I, I accepted Christ. And there was no change. There was uh, no fruit. There was nothing. In, I'm not saying he didn't. I, I don't know his heart. But the very thing is, you know, there was some very circum, you know, some questionable things upon this person's life. Are they really saved? Was it just in the moment of the music, the emotionalism, or was it a genuine repentance? I don't know. Only the Lord does. But there ought to be 
uh, you know, they're a real test, is whether our eyes, our, our heart, our conscience, our soul has been enlightened, right? A new creature. Our conscience ought to be different. And so the Holy Spirit's focus is always upon Jesus Christ. And there's various hymns that we sing, O love that will not let me go. As you think about these very saints, we can't just make an emotional experience a test of spirituality. Well, at this time I was crying and weeping, and, and that's how I know. Sometimes some bad things happen to an individual, and in their uh, bad circumstances, they very well may, you know, I remember I was at this one quote-unquote church, and a person, you know, they said, well, I was captured by some terrorists, and this was down in South America where this person was, and they said, Lord, if you get me out of here, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And that was the person's testimony before this quote-unquote church would baptize this individual. It was very, uh, very shallow at best, not saying that it wasn't saved, uh, but just the, the fact was is it had nothing to do uh, with the you know, repentance of sin, the forgiveness of sins, and had to deal with, Lord, get me out of some really bad circumstances. It's not like this Hail Mary, much like you might have in football. And the, a little bit more caution on the Holy Spirit at work, there was no higher experience in this side of heaven than having a spirit-taught knowledge of God's love for you. It truly is a foretaste of glory divine. And as we look further here in, in chapter 3, verse 19 of Ephesians, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. This means becoming more conformed. Look with me at chapter 4, uh, verse 13. Ephesians 4, 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So here, this perfect man, a mature man, a full, you know, you're fully developed, fully, uh, you know, you're an adult in the Lord, taking on the divine work of the Spirit of God more and more. You know, we take on the characteristics of the master of the house of our heart. 2 Corinthians 3.18, change in the same image from glory to glory, even uh, as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, but we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed to the same image. It says, going on from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we're changed, the Spirit of God. There ought to be a change as I'm, as I'm allowing the Holy Spirit of God more uh, work in my heart. As He is the Master, other people ought to notice that change. You know, it's kind of amazing. There's times that my wife and I, we've been sitting down with people uh, in the past and even before we came up here and you'd sit down with someone and you begin to go through the Word of God and you could see a, a countenance change as they would realize who they were in Christ and realize the forgiveness and the freedom they had in Christ. Uh, there was a countenance change. The Spirit of God was loosing the shackles of sin and giving liberty in Christ. And so uh, as they gave Christ more and more master of their heart, uh, they began to change. And uh, as we think about all of this, you know, that Christ, He wants to not just be a guest. He wants to be the master. Let Him rip up our old worn rags of selfishness. Selfishness, you know what? We are our own worst enemies. It's difficult. Refurbish the underlying carpet of love. We want Him to lay down the foundation. You know what? If I'm not settled on whether I'm a child of God, you know what? During those days uh, when I struggled, you know, with sin and I struggled with, am I really saved? 
you know what, when I settled that foundation that I, God loves me, and I can fail him in sin, but I'm still his child because I did what the Bible said. I'm just plainly taking the Bible as it is. Once that foundation is settled, I can begin to work up. But someone has to settle the assurance of their salvation. God's not going to kick me out. God's not going to throw me to the curb. God's not going to treat me like an earthly father that may not be so good. He's not going to be like a dad uh, that doesn't care about me. No, I know that he cares. I, I know that once we have that foundation, you know what, our security and our significance, there's a, a series that we had done some time back, Help Out of the Hole and No Hope, and they said there's two things that we need as Christians. We need, uh, and as all people, we need security and we need significance. If our security as a child, uh, whether it's with abuse, emotionally, physically, spiritually, you name it, uh, whether there's, uh, and then significance. We need to know that we matter, uh, that we have importance on this life. Uh, if those two things, and we have that as a foundation, that I am a child of God, that God's got a plan for my life, that I, uh, there's something great that God's molding in my life, if I have that, I can begin to move forward for the Lord, and, and I can become that perfect man, perfect woman that God wants to do. And, and uh, let Him totally refurnish and redecorate your heart with the hangings and furnishings speak of his own dear love for you. And we want him to strengthen us in the inner man, as we find here, that strengthen with might by his spirit in the inner man. God doesn't want us to be necessarily strong on the outside, but we ought to have the fortitude. I was just speaking with a friend of mine today, and uh, a good friend of mine from back when I first went in the ministry, and, and um, he had a son that they thought had cancer, and and it ended up not being a cancer, but a very rare disease. And uh, every 10 years, he has to have a, a leg transplant. I'd never heard of it, but he had to have a leg transplant. And, uh, and then there were some things that happened at the church, some real discord, and uh, things fell out, and, and uh, he's no longer there. And then uh, the same day that he, uh, things happened at the church, he had a uh, a friend of his, one of the guys in the church with whom he was close, and they were out having a, a barbecue, and, and that man's teenage son was, on a, was out on the water and, and didn't make it back. And as I was talking to him, there was still a, you know, a desire to serve the Lord, a desire to move forward, and he's an older man. But you know, I was kind of taken aback by uh, still the desire to not be bitter at the Lord, considering the circumstances. It wasn't about himself. It was letting Christ be the master. And I began to think, what would I do in such circumstances? He was accused of some things that, in regards to doctrine that he said, <laughs> he said that's not true. And uh, there were some people in the church uh, that he had to work with. It was a power struggle. And, and anyways, some real challenges. And he left. And, uh, you know, I just think about that. It wasn't a selfishness. It was a desire to see the church grow. And as we think about this here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. You know, I remember when I first got married with my wife and I, and, and they always say you need to let your wife uh, have what she wants in regards to the house and how she wants the furniture. And so I said, okay, and... And I remember as we were setting up our furniture, and she's like, well, a little bit here, and a little bit there, and move this, and move, you know, tweak that just like this with the, the, the photo, and, you know, the different pictures and other things, and, you know, what God wants to do that in our hearts, and we don't always understand why, 
It doesn't make sense to us all the time. Uh, sometimes he, he may go through a process in our lives uh, of purging some things out of us. I know COVID, the whole pandemic period, was quite a purging process. But he does it. Now unto him is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. There's a power that God's doing inside of me. And he's saying, would you let me do this? Would you let me? And as, Paul, as he's finishing this, kind of this doxology of prayer, of praise, he's understanding, God, you do the refurnishings in my heart. You make me anew. Much like I was talking about on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, sometimes we may be asking, God, why are you doing this? Now, here's a question. Is it really true that every believer's life could bring glory to God? In the Bible... As a resounding yes. There's no power to the power, according to the power that worketh in us. When I ask you the question, how is God limited? There's no limit to God's power. There's limited, there's a limit that we put on God's power to work in us because we don't want to let him have full mastery. And he says, throughout all ages, so in every age, in every generation, there is always a, a, a there's no limitation. But in every age, there's an opportunity and a potential for, you know, every Christian, totally sold out, and I'm talking to myself, totally sold out to the power of God moving in my heart and life to push me more like Him. And here's some questions to reflect on. Do the inner life of your heart and the outer testimony of your actions in recent days demonstrate that you've been treating Jesus Christ as a guest or as the master of your heart. So does the inner life of your heart and the outer testimony of your actions. Here's some things. And the second thing, is your life characterized by love for God and a love for others? Or does it show you to be self-centered? You know, the hard question on this is if you were to ask... You know, if I was to ask my wife or ask someone else that would know me well, is that true? Have you experienced the Holy Spirit's personal assurance that God loves you? Do you know from your walk with the Lord, your spiritual faith in God that you're His child? Do you know? Has He ever confirmed to your spirit that you are His child? Another thing is, write out what may be hindering the Holy Spirit from furnishing and decorating the house of your heart with the personal knowledge of his love. What is it? You know, if maybe you had a, a parent growing up who was negligent on the ability to really express emotion, and you're struggling with just the fundamental belief that God loves me. We know this up here, but it's getting it to our heart. It's living it out. That's the real challenge because as I have the love of God in my heart, right, the love of God, it will affect my love for my neighbors. That's the thing, is if I'm not settled on that very truth. Mediocre Christianity isn't supposed to work, as we have mentioned before. And as we disciple those who may be lukewarm Christians, maybe they've only born, you know, they've only had in their life a, a bitter fruit of mediocrity. They said the Christian life is, is hard. Maybe they've been in that midlife crisis, you know, as we spoke about in chapter uh, one, the first few lessons, and 
thinking because I'm faithful to church and because I faithfully read my Bible and, and because I faithfully uh, I pray that somehow, some way, I ought to be some stellar Christian. I had someone one time tell me, I've read the Bible, it didn't help me with my problems. Now, in this particular individual, this, this idea here was there was a great deal of bitterness. But if we only hear the Word of God and we're not uh, applying it, we're not letting the Spirit of God speak to us, then we are still in control of our heart. We're not waiting patiently for, to hear from God. You know, as I'm reading and I'm doing my devotions in the morning and when I'm doing it, I'm doing it in a way so I can patiently hear God speak to me as I'm reading His Word. To open my eyes, to let me see. And we must make the decision that we're going to change as the Spirit of God. I'd like you to look with me at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. I remember as a young kid going to camps and I would hear a message and I would go up to the altar and I would, you know, I was thinking, man, Lord, you're going to do a great work. And I was excited and and I was under conviction. But then what happened is... I would get back out and leave camp and leave that environment. And you know what? That commitments oftentimes were merely emotional. I was there in the heat of the moment. It's kind of like, as you find the quote there, he may walk away momentarily blessed by what he saw today, but he will not be permanently changed by what he saw because he did not take time to reflect. Uh, you know what? I, I did take a little bit of time to reflect, but quickly there were games or there were other things afterwards. And, and so I kind of forgot what I had made. I remember, and it was in September of 2007 that I had made a commitment, it was in 2007, that I had surrendered to ministry. And uh, I did, and, but then shortly thereafter, I began to work many, many, many hours a day and seven days a week and stopped going to church and stopped, and I was so tired, I stopped doing my devotions. And the decision that I had made would bring me to a place where, you know, and I was grieving the Lord and and I was quite unhappy. And I thought I was changed only to find out that I was still in control of my heart. And I was just a, I was just going through some motions. A forgetful hearer's end when, he, when the difficulties of life hit. He will think that God has let him down. And he reflects, and as he reflects upon all, all he has done for God, his bitterness will grow and the despair will set in. Maybe if someone's, you know, like in a, during a revival meetings or quote-unquote, uh, you know, Bible conference. And, and uh, you know, I was faithful in the church, and I was doing my devotions, and I was praying, and, and I was doing, 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 doing. And how could God let this happen to me? How could this tragedy happen? How, you know, I, I did a lot for God. How could you let me do this? Sometimes, in some churches, pastors and and evangelists can give the impression, if you as a Christian want to change life and come forward to the altar, the altar is a starting place. That's a place of humility. It's not a changed life. 
It's a, now, it's, it's a good thing to do because you're coming forward in humility saying, God, I'm willing to let others see that you're working in my heart. It's a place of humility, but that's it. It's a starting place. But then, as you make that decision, you know what it was? When I had made that decision there in 2007 to surrender to the ministry, it wasn't until ultimately when I was there in Bible college and it was preaching day in and day out, I think five days a week, four to five days a week, we had preaching. And you know what? That was the discipleship going through and God just began to a mighty work in my heart. And it was there that discipleship is needed for a, to not be a forgetful here. There was th- so many confusing things that I had grown up with and it was laden with sins, thoughts, bitterness that had just consumed my thoughts. And I really struggled and I had a lot of questions. Coming to that altar is merely just a start of humility. It's not going to make you a giant for the Lord. It's not going to I'm rededicating. Now, I rededicated, so now I need to re-rededicate. And then, well, something bad goes to happen, and I fall again, or I do something. Well, I need to re-re-re-re-rededicate. You know, and we just kind of go on through this process. But, again, we need to get rid of the selfishness and just let Christ be the master of full surrender as we think upon this. And in last, my last slide for this evening, Multitudes of believers hear the sermons at church and read the Bible, but never ask God himself, what do these things mean? So if we have revelation that God's showing me I'm a sinner, we have a reflection upon my own life, but, I, but I'm not reflecting. So I have revelation. God shows me a truth from the Word of God, but I don't reflect on it. You know, this is where the aspect of meditation comes in. You can be reading something, and it comes in, and then all of a sudden... Your phone rings, or this happens, or this happens, and your mind begins to get away from what the Spirit of God was just speaking to you about. That's why a good thing to get rid of distractions when you're doing your devotions. And then all these things come. I'm, I'm getting revelation. I'm getting new input about the Lord from His Word. But I don't meditate. And what happens is it leads to a self-deception. Well, God showed me this, but I never apply it. You know, that's the aspect of meditation, is how do I apply the truth that God's just given me? You know, I can't walk away from I can't just be a hearer only and not a doer. And uh, it happened a lot in believers' life. It's a noble beginning to get revelation. But I have to meditate. I have to reflect. Revelation plus reflection equals illumination. And you know, that's what it is in someone's life. When someone, you begin to show them, hey, Here's some, they're talking, hey, I'm struggling in these areas. You said, this is what the Bible says. This is how the Bible says you're supposed to deal with it. They say, whoa, I didn't realize that. They take those truths. They begin to think upon it. How should I apply these truths? And you know what? Their countenance changed. There's an illumination of the Spirit of God working in that person's life. And then we have an opportunity to affect others. And we can see the ugliness of walking in our own ways. And God wants to penetrate our lives to make us illuminated for Him. And you remember how many times in the Gospels our Lord Jesus would say something to the whole crowd, but then He would just stop and personally explain it to His disciples. He would talk in parables many times, right? And some modern believers unfairly judge the Lord for not telling everyone what He means. Right? Luke 8, 
unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that they seeing might not see and hearing they might not understand. And the thing is, is Jesus, you know, what, what is this parable all about? And then Jesus would take his disciples aside and he'd say, this is what it means. They were hungry for truth. They had a heart ready to, re, to they were humbled. They were ready to, re, to receive truth. And what Jesus would tell them, have you understood all these things? They say unto him, yea, Lord. And as he would explain unto him, right, the parable of the, the tares of the field and other things. Jesus took time to explain, and his spirit takes time to explain to us. And so we hear the sermons and read the Bible. And that's why it is fruitless if we just read the Bible. But I don't take time to reflect on it. We become unilluminated because we don't reflect on it. Their eyes have not been opened. And so as I conclude this, the assurance in our lives to be filled with all the fullness of God, it takes time that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, you've got to know, first of all, that you're his child. Second of all, may be able to comprehend with all saints was the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. Ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So there's a knowledge here. The knowledge of Christ. And as I do that, I can make forward progress because I know I'm his. And I know his spirit speaking to my spirit. And he can do abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Our assurance, it rests in first of all knowing that he loves me and I'm his child. As we come to the time of invitation this evening, just take a brief moment, however the Spirit of God may be speaking to your heart with heads bowed and eyes closed. No music this evening, and I just uh, trust that you would just uh, come to the Lord and ask Him, Lord, show me, help me to reflect on the truths you've given so I can have a full assurance. You know those times we all struggle with the love of Christ. And, you know, we got to make sure that we have Him as the master of our house. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you, Father, for the fact that you do desire us to know you. And Lord, you also desire that we know that you love us. Father, it's not just some mystical knowledge, but Lord, we can have a firm, concrete knowledge that you care for us and you love us. Lord, help us to live in light of that. Father, I love you and thank you for being my Savior. I pray that those who may be watching that do not know Jesus Christ, that they call out to you and ask you to forgive them of their sins and be born again. And Lord, for those of us as Christians, Father, may we just surrender and let you be the master of the house of our heart. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. In your precious name I pray. Amen.